You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Do you remember when you first got married? you remember the wedding day and, and, and how great it felt like to know that this is the person that not only I want, but that wants me back, right? So it's like this incredible experience and feeling of how, you know, we have met somebody that wants me, I want them, and, and then we get married, and then we start singing, you better shape up, right? Isn't it funny how quickly the tides turn and change in that process, but man, I, I'm excited to talk to you today about God's design for marriage, and if you've got your Bibles, let's go to the book of First Peter. We're in a series where we're, we're walking our way all the way through uh, this entire book together. Small groups are going through it, and, and uh, God's doing some incredible things through it, and as I was thinking through what love is and, and uh, preparing for this, I, I, I started thinking about just our culture and how our culture views love. And uh, and when you think about it, you hear a lot of phrases in our country and in in movies and you read them in books that that really kind of give the idea that love is a mystical kind of force that we don't know, you know, when it's coming, when it's going and kind of pushes us one way and pushes us another way and we don't have a choice in the situation. And so if we're not careful, we'll we'll begin to adopt that mentality and and, uh, you hear it when people say, I fell in love almost as if it was not even my choice. I just fell. You know, I didn't mean to. I just fell. And then a couple years later, you hear people say, well, we fell out of love. (laughs) And what we mean is this person is no longer meeting the needs in my life like I want him or her to do. And that's simply, you know, what it means. And so is love really a mystical force that you know, we don't really have an option or choice in, and is it forcing us and leading us to go in different directions? Well, I think the Bible speaks clearly to it. And the Bible speaks of love as a covenant decision that we make. It's a choice that we make. And, and as we embrace God's design in our marriage, I think that we'll begin to experience a, a deeper level of commitment. The New York Times had an article by M- Mandy Catron, uh, And uh, the article was entitled, To Fall in Love with Anyone, Do This. (laughs) That's a great title. I mean, all the single ladies, right? You're reading the article. This is a great title. I mean, it's really, really catchy. And what she did was she was referring to a scientific study where all these scientists came together and they got all these single people that didn't know each other and they had them come into a room and they sat down in front of each other and they asked a series of 36 questions. And then after they answered the 36 questions, they were told to stare into one another's eyes for four minutes. And the results were staggering. They wanted to see if a series of questions like this would lead to a deeper connection relationally. And out of all the people that were involved in this, two people actually fell in love and got married. They invited all the scientists to come. (laughs) And... Mandy was intrigued by this, and so she got her friend, and they decided they were going to try this experiment. They didn't, you know, it was, it was a man that they weren't, like, dating. They weren't even in a relationship, and they said, let's try this. And so they sat down. They went through the 36 questions. Starts off kind of, you know, general, and it gets deeper and deeper and more and more personal. And, and then they stared into each other's eyes for four minutes. And lo and behold, after some time, they fell in love. So she wrote about this experience and she posted this on her blog and it exploded. 
I mean, the New York Times, you know, Good Morning America, everybody was calling her, wanted to know her story. Are they still in love? Is this really a formula for us to fall in love? Will we all begin to ask these 36 questions to, you know, all kind of go deeper and fall in love? And she was on, uh, she did a TED Talk about it. That's where I discovered her. And in the TED Talk, she's explaining all this. And she closed her talk with this word, with this sentence. She says, Falling in love is the easy part. Love didn't happen to us. We are in love because we each made the choice to be in love. When I first heard that, I agreed with a portion of that sentence. That in love, we chose to be and and commit to each other. We chose to make this commitment. We chose to be in love. I agree with. But the first part of her phrase says that falling in love is the easy part. Now, falling in superficial love is quite easy. We have all experienced that in middle school. But falling in true, authentic, real love is not, in fact, easy to do. Been married for 16 years, going on 17. And I told my wife I loved her before we got married. I I committed to her on our wedding day, but I didn't have a clue of what that really meant. I look back on that experience and I realize, you know, for me, I, I was infatuated with this woman. She was gorgeous. And I was I was blown away that she chose me. I was the one that she wanted. I was infatuated with the idea of marriage and the idea of having her in my life. I was infatuated with the, the idea of what she was going to do for me and what, what, what this relationship was, how I was going to bless me. And I quickly discovered year one, year two, that, man, I didn't know what love was until we started to get into a series of heated arguments. And when we were on each other, like, you know, fighting and fighting for control and and you know it was almost like a huge tug of war battle in in our marriage and we were fighting over you know stupid things and important things it didn't matter and I realized at some point looking back I can see it like there there was a series of these events and some some really difficult things that we had to walk through and and as we walked through those I really fell in love with her when I began to die to myself when I began to surrender to my needs and surrender to what I wanted and began to put her needs ahead of my own. And there were seasons and times where she did the same for me. And she died to what she wanted. And when we started to fight over who's going to die to whose needs, then we truly began to fall in love. So I want to look at God's design for marriage today. And, and for some of you, it's going to be very difficult you're, you're not going to like what I'm going to say today. Some of you are, are going to reject some of these principles altogether. And so I just want to tell you, like if you're married and struggling today, God's design for marriage is hard. It is not easy, but it's so easy to enjoy. When you finally get to the place in your life where you embrace God's design You as a wife are fulfilling your God-given roles. You as a husband are fulfilling your God-given roles and you're working through these situations in love together. Yeah, it's not easy, but when you do that, man, it is so easy to enjoy, man. It is amazing 
all the single people in here today who hope to one day get married, don't let you know, the tabloids and the internet destroy your view of marriage. Marriage is amazing. It could be and will be the most difficult thing you will ever do. But once you embrace God's design, it is incredible. And so as we open up God's word today in 1 Peter chapter 3, let's realize that, man, we're going to get hit in the face today a few times. So, so let's, let's, let's receive what God has for us today with open arms. Verse 1 of chapter 3, Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's start in verse one here and walk our way through this. The first word is likewise. So what he's referring to is he's saying, hey, in the same way, wives, here's your role. So if you remember from last week, we're exiles. We're sojourners. This is not our home, but we're not called to live as hermits and to isolate ourselves from culture. We're, we're called to live as honorable citizens, as chapter two tells us. And so if I'm gonna be an honorable citizen, he tells me to submit to the governing authorities that are in place. So whether they are believers or non-believers, I'm called to submit to their authority. Uh, it, it, he tells um, servants to be subject, to to submit themselves to their master. And now he goes to wives and then he will go to husbands. And and so he says, in the same way that, that we're submitting to authorities, wives, your role as a Christian woman is to submit to your husband. Now, I know this is not a culturally, you know, acceptable statement to make. Uh, liberal theologians, um, women's lib is huge, and you know this is a concept that our culture is going to snub us and hold their nose up and roll their eyes at. Some people will even say, you know what, Trent, Peter was writing to a church in the first century. Women were degraded back then. You know, they, they, they were under that influence, and so that, that's for their culture. That's not for our modern-day culture. We don't think like that. We've been liberated, right? But in fact, what we have to realize is that women, for the first time, are in fact liberated in the church. The fact that Peter is even writing and including women in this conversation shows that he sees them as equals to men. Because any other first century writing will neglect to say anything about women because they weren't important. They weren't a part of the conversation. Peter is now drawing them into the conversation, showing that he, in fact, views them as important, independent, and influential leaders. Not to mention, at that time when a woman was married to a husband, she embraced his religion. Didn't matter what she thought, if he was Jewish, you, you were Jewish. If, if, if he was Muslim, 
you had to be a Muslim or whatever the issue was in this first century. Like you didn't have a choice. You followed whatever your husband did or said as far as religion. And now Peter is saying, hey, ladies, I want you to, to, to have some independent thought here. No matter what your husband does, you need to submit yourself to Jesus, come to Christ in faith. And not only that, if your husband hasn't received Christ, then, then you need to influence him. So, so not only, hey, you know, you need to think, ladies, and, and you need to come to Christ, but when you do, you need to influence and change your husband. I mean, this is completely countercultural to what Peter in, in the first century is experiencing at this time. And so ladies are in fact liberated through the teaching of the gospel in this section and really all throughout scripture. So this is for us today. This concept, it is God's design for us. Now it's not saying that women are subject to all men. So we wanna be clear here. Like, like my wife isn't called to be subject to all the guys in the room and whatever you need. No, he's saying to your husband. So that's important for us. So, so if you're at a job and, and you're, you, know, you have a boss that is a woman, you don't use text like this to say, no, no, you're not in charge of me. You know, I'm in charge. No, that's ridiculous. If your boss is a woman, you submit yourself to her authority. If a woman is elected as president, we submit ourselves under her authority. If Hillary is elected, we're called as believers to humble ourselves to submit to her authority. Now, you might have just vomited in your mouth at that thought. But listen, I don't want to get political here. Listen, don't be offended. I'm not talking about who you're voting for today. So what I want us to realize is that the context of this passage does not talk about government. It's not talking about business. It's talking about marriage. So in the context of marriage, it is in fact important that we realize that wives are called to submit to their husbands. Wives deserve equal pay. Women's sports deserves equal attention. Women's rights should be fought for by men and, should, and we should champion all women's rights. Okay, with that in view here, we see, I, and, and matter of fact, I would say that women in leadership is a great thing. You know, there are ladies who are you know, serving in various capacities at your office and in different areas, and women make incredible leaders. I have three daughters that I am, I am trying to train them to be leaders, all right? And, and, and so understand that this is, is, is a completely different context here when it comes to marriage. So let me talk about what submission is not. First of all, submission doesn't mean inferior, so I know a lot of times when we hear the word submit, we think, oh, they're lesser or, you know, they're inferior. But women are equal in essence in being. Jesus is a good example here. He submits to his earthly parents. But that doesn't mean that he's inferior to his parents. He submits to God the Father. But that doesn't mean he is inferior to God. Christians are called to submit to government authorities. That doesn't mean we're inferior to them. The Bible teaches that there is one God and this God is in three persons. We call it the Trinity. So this triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are equal in essence. They are equal in being, but they are also distinct and they have different roles. The Father is sending the Son. The Son is, is living and dying on the cross for sins. The Holy Spirit is empowering us and, and convicting us of sin. And yet, they are not inferior to one another. They are equal. 
And so even in the Godhead, we see that, yes, there are, there are distinct roles and responsibilities. And so in marriage, male and female are equal in every way, created in the image of God. Equal in every way, and yet we are different. There are distinct differences. And we have different roles and different responsibilities as we live out the gospel in our lives. Secondly here, submission doesn't mean giving in to every demand, okay? This does not not mean that a wife is supposed to give in to every demand of her husband. For instance, if your husband is calling you to cheat or asking you to lie about something, you don't follow his leadership if he's asking you or leading you into sin. If you're married to an unbeliever and he is asking you you know, you can't follow Jesus or you can't go to church today. Like you say, honey, I love you, but I serve the Lord Jesus. I'm going to church, right? I actually had a counseling session years ago where a wife was trying to submit to her husband and honor his wish that she not come to church anymore. And I said, honey, no, 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 no. Like here's First Peter 3. That doesn't mean that you submit to him when he calls you to do something contrary to God's word. So it doesn't mean that we're giving in to every demand. Thirdly, submission doesn't mean wives don't get to think. In fact, Peter is saying here, wives, think for yourself, follow Jesus, think for yourself, lead the unbeliever, unbelieving pagan to Jesus, right? So he's, he's, he's calling her to think and have individual thought here. So let's remember that this passage is in fact calling women to think. Number four, submission doesn't mean agreeing with everything your husband says. I mean, my wife disagrees with me in many ways, but I still feel like she is fulfilling her role as a, as a submissive, godly wife. There are some days when I come to her and I say, honey, this is kind of what I'm thinking. I think we need to go this direction with our family or whatever. And she, she's told me, you know what? I, I kind of think differently. Here's kind of what I think. But if that's the way you think we should go, then, then, then I'm going to follow that lead. And there are days when I come to her and say, this is what I'm thinking, and what are you thinking? And she says, here's what I'm thinking, and I think, oh man, I hadn't even thought about that. Man, I'm glad you said that, and we definitely need to go that way. Like, like that's how a marriage ought to work. Like, it doesn't mean that I'm doing all the thinking, all the deciding. It means that, that I'm leading in the decision, and I'm coming to her asking questions, and we're together making that decision. Submission doesn't mean you don't try to change him. But in our culture, all we hear all the time is, don't try to change me, bro. Let me be me, right? Don't change me. Dude, if you don't want to change, don't get married. <laughs> I'm just, that's just the point. Like that's, I think part of the big design of marriage, God created it to help us change so that, so that we wouldn't be so selfish. And so uh, James Bray, I think his name is, has an incredible song, Why Don't You Be You and I'll Be Me. Why don't you be you, right? Does that help at all? Maybe that, doesn't, maybe that hurt. It's a great song. We were talking about backstage like you got to download it. It's incredible. It's terrible theology. It's terrible theology. You don't want me to be me. Trust me. If I'm me, my wife's going to be unhappy because I'm selfish and ugly and I want what I want. And I don't want her to be her either because she can tend to be that as well. And so what you want is you want me to be like Jesus. You want me to imitate him. You want me to become more like him. And as I do then the marriage works. Listen, Peter's not saying here that if your husband is abusive in any way, you, you, you just deal with it. If your husband is abusing you physically, mentally, spiritually in any way, he deserves jail time, first of all. And secondly, we're here to help you. So 
let us know. Let us step into that and be a guide for you during that season. So he, in fact, is telling us, wives, you need to change your husband. But our idea of changing is different than God's idea. And so that's where it's going to become even more challenging today for, for the ladies in the room. Because obviously, if you want to change your husband, step one is to submit to him. To submit to him. Now, let me give you a definition of submission. Here we go. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. So just unpack that for a little bit here. Like take that home, pray through it, think through it, because this is a divine calling. As a wife, you are called in this this God-ordained calling to honor him and affirm him as leader and then to help carry out that leadership according to her gifts. So a wife is subject, it's to submit. So, so here's the deal. The scripture says here, he doesn't obey the word. So there's a lot of ladies in the room that are experiencing this. You're, you're married to a man who is not a believer or he says he's a Christian, but he's not obeying the word. So he's not living a lifestyle that is in accordance with the word of God. And so, so for you, what do you do? How, how, do you, how do you live and breathe? And how do you kind of make this marriage work? And, and maybe he's not even here today, or maybe he is here and he's not like stepping into this. So, so how do you change him? And, and Peter says, submit to him. And then secondly, he says, begin to cultivate inner beauty. Begin to cultivate inner beauty because inner beauty is what will influence him. Inner beauty is what will, in fact, allow you to become more like Christ. He sees that and he's influenced by it. And so he says, don't be preoccupied with your looks. Don't be preoccupied and fixated on the outer appearance. I mean, this is important. I mean, we, we spend, we see people spending so much time on their looks and spending so much money into this. And there is a reality that looks can manipulate And sometimes women learn this at a young age, that the way that I look and the way that this happens, then I can manipulate men. And and he says that's not how a godly Christian woman interacts with her her husband. She doesn't focus on the outer appearance. She focuses on the inner being. This is what, look at the text. I mean, God says this is what's beautiful. This is what is precious in verse 4. A woman who cultivates inner beauty. Now, it doesn't say that women are prohibited from braiding their hair, you know, or wearing jewelry. If you think that that's what it means, then it would also mean wearing clothes here because it's all in the same sentence. So wearing clothes is a good thing, right? In church at least. And, and then, uh, you know, braid your hair, whatever, wear jewelry, it's fine. But he says, just don't be preoccupied with that. Don't, don't, don't spend so much time on the outer that you forget about the inner qualities that God wants you to develop. Ladies, I wonder what it would look like if you spent as much time on your spiritual life as you do your hair. Mm Mm-hmm, I knew I didn't like him. We ain't coming back to this church. That's a good question. He says to cultivate inner beauty. How do you cultivate inner beauty? What does inner beauty look like? That's really the question. What does it look like? He says in verse two, by showing respect. By showing respect. This is huge. In Ephesians 5.33, it says, Let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, here's a, here's a huge principle, guys. 
The wife's ultimate desire is to be loved by her husband. And the husband's ultimate desire is to be respected by his wife. This is a biblical just thought and and, and teaching that is at the very core in our DNA of who we are as human beings. We want to be respected, ladies. So this is of paramount importance. So how do you speak to your husband? What tone do you use? Are you degrading him in your language? Do you make decisions without even, culti- or without even uh, consulting him? What about your parenting? Are you parenting the way you want to parent and neglecting to include him in the conversation? Are you trying to dominate the parenting situation? We show respect by talking with him, including him in decisions, by listening to him without talking over him. And listen, by praising him and encouraging him one-on-one and even in groups. Ladies, you have a, a unique role in your husband's life. You can make him a champ or you can make him a chump. And every time you're in a conversation with your small group or groups of people or you're around your friends, Anytime you're in that environment, you have the opportunity to talk about him and to to identify him as a champ or you can make fun of him and criticize him and put him down because there's lots of stuff to make fun of him for. Amen, ladies, right? You can make fun of his eating habits, how loud he is, he smells. The list is endless. We understand. There's lots of material to use. But we're asking you to respect us in such a way that you make us a champ. Now, if you're married to an athlete, Here's what I know. I've spent my whole life being praised for my, my skills on the basketball court. So my mother, at a very young age, would applaud me, no matter if I played good or bad. She would grab my muscles and tell me how big they were and how strong I was, right? And so it fed this ego in me. Good or bad, this is just reality, right? And then I started playing sports and cheerleaders would applaud me and talk about how awesome I was and crowds would cheer and in college it just got amplified, right? And then I walk into a marriage and instead of hearing applause, I hear boo, you know? It's like going to, you know, our, our rival's gymnasium. There was a, a, one particular school, it was Campbell County, like we used to play them, and, and they would throw stuff at us as we warmed up, popcorn, cups, pins, whatever they had. They would, they would berate us, and it was a terrible environment to, to go into, right? And so, so what I'm saying is if you want to respect your husband, I'm not saying you're feeding his ego. I'm just saying understand this about him. <laughs> like like when, you, when he walks into the room, if your first comment is a criticism, or if your first comment is to condemn him in whatever ways, you're, you're missing the point. Like there are things to work on. We get it. But let, let's not make a habit of turning him into a chump. Let's treat him as a champ. As you begin to do that, I believe that he will respond. As, as he experiences that respect, I think he will respond. And we trust by faith that God's word will not return unto us void, that it will happen. Secondly here, by, uh, we, we can cultivate this inner beauty, ladies, by your pure conduct. Look at verse 2. Circle that. Pure conduct. What does that mean? Pure conduct means that you're not doing things out of selfish motive. You're not making decisions on, on what you're going to get out of the situation. Hey, honey, if you do this, then I'll do that. Right? That's very unhealthy in a relationship. 
If you go over here and make this, if you apologize to me, then I'll do that. If you go, that's very unhealthy. So we use uh, this idea that we want to have pure motives. And my motives are, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do. Not because he deserves it, because he's earned it. I do this because it's the right thing to do. God has called me to lead and he's called me to, to, to act in this way. Thirdly, we cultivate this inner beauty with gentleness. Verse four, gentleness. What that means is you're not demanding your own way. You're not overbearing. You're not contentious. You're not looking for the fight. You're not always trying to win in the argument, right? And if, if you ever think that you are winning in the argument, you are not winning. You know, I've stepped away from many an argument thinking, yeah, I showed her. That was dumb. Like that never is a win, is it? I love what the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 15. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. <laughs> Solomon was a genius, right? I mean, that's so true, man, right? Like, and so we want to recognize that part of the qualities of a godly, beautiful woman in God's sight is gentleness. Now, this doesn't mean that, that a wife is a doormat and, or, you know, you're prohibited from giving your opinion. Like, like I've already mentioned, a, a husband that bullies his wife is not a man at all. And so that's not what the, the I don't want you to infer that at, at all in this talk. Verse, this, verse four also says wives to, to have a quiet spirit, a quiet spirit. Now, again, don't misinterpret scripture. Don't read that and say, oh, wives are supposed to be quiet. That's not what it says. It says to have a quiet spirit. What does it mean to have a quiet spirit? Well, ladies, it means that you have a calm and, and, and confident presence about you. It means that you don't have to be loud and boisterous to get your, your point across. It means that, that you know how to hold your tongue. It means that when you become angry and, and the temperature kind of begins to rise up and boil within you, you know that you got to take a time out. And you're going to have to step in the back room. You're going to have to step on the back porch so that you can calm your nerves and calm yourself so that you can come back in and have a respectful conversation. And we especially want to be mindful if our kids are in the room. Because if you are disrespecting your husband in that way publicly, it's going to give your children permission to do the same thing. Granted, he might be a knucklehead, right? But that conversation should happen outside or in a private area, not in front of your children. A quiet spirit. See, this is what God views as beautiful. A quiet spirit. I, I would also apply this in the area of social media. So a quiet, calm, confident woman is not engaging in social media slander and gossip and drama about other people. That's not who you are. You're, you're above that. You're not going to engage in that conversation. You're going you're to walk and live within a quiet spirit. And Sarah is the example of this. Sarah is the wife of Abraham, and at the beginning of his, his ministry, we see God calling Abraham to go to a different land, and God said, I'll show you where that land is, so pack everything else up and, and, and leave, and I'll show you when you get there. Imagine how crazy that would have sounded to Sarah, and yet God is calling her to submit to God and to submit to God's plan for her husband. It would have been extremely scary extremely unnerving. But ladies, she is your example. And I love how the, the, the phrase here says, do not fear anything that is frightening. <laughs> what? Aren't we supposed to fear stuff that is frightening? I mean, that's why we're afraid. It's frightening, so we're fearful. And the truth is, a quiet, 
calm, confident woman of God who has cultivated inner beauty, sees the plan that God has for her. And even though it is frightening to the core, she says, I'm going with you and I'll follow you wherever the Lord leads. You see, this is the example to the women of old, it says, and <clears throat> of Sarah herself. Now, Sarah calls Abraham Lord. Now, again, don't misinterpret scripture. The Bible is not saying, ladies, call your husband Lord. <laughs> Whew, he read that one this week and you're like, what's he going to say? No, that's not what he's saying. She's an example and her submission is the example to follow here. So, man, isn't that amazing? So, so guys, we don't have time to talk about our part. Ladies, we just want to pray for you today. So, <clears throat> just kidding. Guys, uh, man night is coming up uh, November 5th. I hope you'll register uh, for that and be a part of that. But here's what it means for, for guys uh, this morning who are married or guys who hope to be married one day. It means that you're called to be the spiritual leader of your house. If a wife is supposed to submit to your spiritual leadership, that means you are the leader. So that means as a leader, you're taking the initiative. Leadership is not passive and waiting for things to happen. Leadership is all about taking the initiative. And so uh, an example of this to help you kind of understand is who's saying let's more in the relationship? Let's go on a date. Let's go to church. Let's get to church on time. <laughs> let's read our Bible together. Let's have family devotion. Who's saying let's more? Because if your wife is saying let's more than you are, men, there might, that might be an indication that she is leading and you are not. And so I think that's important for us to understand. Like leadership doesn't mean you're not listening. Leadership doesn't mean you're getting the last word or that you are in control Leadership means that you are listening. It means that you are loving and that you are seeking the needs of your wife. This authority that God has given to us as men, this leadership responsibility, doesn't mean it is abusive authority or you abuse that in any ways. It must be motivated by love and a sincere heart to serve the Lord. So lead your wife spiritually. Secondly, be understanding. Verse seven, calls men to be understanding of their wife. Now, here's what we know. This is human DNA, you know. Every person has a deep-rooted desire to be loved and to be known. And so to know somebody means you understand them. So guys in the room, your wives want you to understand her. How many times, though, has your wife said, you just don't understand me. You don't understand what I'm going through. It's like a knife right to our heart, you know? And listen, I get it. They're hard to understand. <laughs> They're crazy, right? So that happens. And we don't, we don't always get it. Um, in my life, what I am good at is fixing problems. <laughs> so I, I think, right? So, so when my wife comes to me with a problem, what am I going to do? I'm going to fix it. And as, I'm a teacher by nature, so I've got three, I'm a Baptist preacher, so I got three points. I can give you a poem too if you want me to. I can fix this problem, right? You got an issue at work, you got an issue with kids, you got an, I can fix it. So here's, here's some few steps now. In my mind, that's great advice. That's how I can go. I, I, I would think that she would say, thank you, Chairman, appreciate that. And I'm gonna go, I'm gonna knock it out. But that's not the case. Like that, that's not what she wanted. And, and I would submit to the guys in the room, that's not what she wants. And if you're single and you're dating somebody, bro, learn this, write this down. I'm gonna give you a sentence or two to say to her and you will be a champion, right? You'll, you'll be an Adonis to her. 
This is what she wants when she comes to you and, and she shares a problem with you. She wants you to listen. So that means put your phone down, turn the TV off, stop thinking about work, stop messing with the kids or whatever, and look at her in the face, look at her in the eyes, listen to her. And then when she shares that problem, you're going you're gonna to hold back the, the, the tendency to, to fix. And you're going to say this, honey, I'm sorry you feel that way. That has to be difficult. And then you're done. Like you're done. That's it. You just step away. And I'm telling you, if you'll do that, your marriage will change. Maybe not overnight. You do that a few times and she's going to like, she's going to start thinking like, who, who is this guy? He's starting to understand me. He's starting to get it. And you're going to, and you're going to go, you're like you found gold. Like you don't, this is true. Like your women, your wife doesn't want her, doesn't want you to fix her. She wants you to understand her. And so this is why scripture teaches us this, because this is in fact a need that she has. Thirdly, it says in verse seven, to show her honor. Show her honor. Man, this is a huge concept in our world today because you see so many men dishonoring women, dishonoring women by the music that they listen to, by the things that they laugh at. I mean, what do, what do we teach our children? We laugh at things and, and allow them to see things that are degrading to women. It's a tragedy, especially for a believer. So we want to show them honor. Peter doesn't say to honor your wife if she's submissive. He doesn't say to honor her if she's meeting your needs. He says honor her, period. Scripture calls her the weaker vessel, right? And so all the liberals get uneasy, calling women weak. No, he's not saying that women are weak here. He's referring to physical strength. And so generally speaking, women are not as strong as their husband, okay? Now, granted, I know Jill is much stronger than Brant, and so that's an anomaly. And, and, and I realize in our culture with this workout phenomenon going on, there's a lot of women, you know, that are very strong, stronger than their husbands. We don't want to mess with you guys, right? But generally speaking, women are not as strong as men. And so what he is teaching us here is that we as men are to use that, that physical strength to honor her not to dishonor her, not to demean her, and not to be overbearing, not to use that to intimidate, but to use it to honor her. And so chivalry cannot die. This is why we do simple things like open up doors and carry heavy groceries and move furniture. We're not asking our wife to do all the heavy lifting. We are honoring her by physically taking care of the house, physically taking care of her needs, and yes, physically protecting her when need be, showing her honor. Here's why this is important, guys. We want to honor her and lead her. Verse 7, because she's an heir with you. That means she's an equal. She's a co-heir with you of the promise of salvation, which means she will be in heaven with us forever. So we show her honor today. She is a sister in Christ. We should respect and honor her for that alone. And this is what he says. If you don't, if you don't lead, if you don't honor and if you don't seek to understand her, your prayers might be hindered. Your prayers could be hindered. Now that should scare us. Some of you are wondering why God hasn't answered your, your prayer to help you overcome a problem. Perhaps it's because you're not leading and caring for your wife. Some of you are praying for a new job. You're praying for whatever to happen. And, and you're like, man, God's just not answering. And 
Perhaps the reason God is not answering you is because he's waiting for you to lead your wife and to love her and to put her needs above your own. I read the story of a man who, he decided to do this. He decided to put his wife first. And so uh, they, they went on vacation and he said, you know, I'm gonna make a commitment, a private commitment. Like I'm gonna serve her. I'm gonna put her needs ahead of mine. I'm, gonna, I'm just, gonna, just gonna focus on that this week. And he did. And he was, he was knocking it out of the park, man, serving her and putting her first. And uh, towards the end of the week, obviously she noticed this and she said, honey, um, you know something I don't know? He's like, what do you mean? She's like, well, based on how you've acted this week, you know, I know I've, I went to the doctor a couple weeks ago and I mean, did, did the doctor call you and tell you something about me? Am I dying? <laughs> and he just kind of chuckled and said, no, honey, you're not dying. I just decided to start living. So the reality is, guys, we think living is the next promotion, the next paycheck, giving all of this stuff to our wives so that we can feel good about ourselves like we're providing. But that's not what she's asking for. And that's not what your children are asking for. And that's ultimately not what you, your heart's desire even wants to do. You're deceived. To truly live means that you must die to self. And as you begin to surrender your will to God's will, as she begins to surrender her will to God's will, as you together begin to say, you know what, I'm gonna give up control and I'm gonna give God control, then you begin to embrace the design of marriage that that God has given to us. And again, let's look at it again. God's design for marriage is not easy, but it's easy to enjoy. Because when you step into that relationship and your arguments are no I want to do what you want to do. And no, I want to go where you want to go. You decide. I want to put you first here when that's your argument instead of no, we're doing it my way. Man, it's so much easier to enjoy. It's so much incredible. I mean, the relationship goes from zero to 100 and it's amazing. But it takes us embracing God's design for marriage. Now, for some of you, you've never given your life to Christ. So you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that is step one. If you have not given your heart to Christ, if you've not committed that to him by faith, then none of this stuff is going to work for you. That's your first commitment. For others of you in the room, maybe you're a wife and you're married to a guy that's, that's not obeying the word of God. And, and my challenge for you is to embrace inner beauty God's way today. And as you do, watch and see how you can begin to influence him through prayer and through your very behavior. Men, if you're not leading today, make the commitment that you're going to step into that. You're going to begin to, to be the one that says let's more. You're going to be the one that's going to honor and respect her and, and to die to yourself. And I believe as you do, man, marriage is going to be so much easier and so much more enjoyable. We've got a room that we call the Karen Prayer Room. When you walk out of these doors, it's to your left. We've got counselors in there. If you've got needs or issues or things that you want to decide today, prayers that you want them to pray with you, they would love to help you in any way before you head out today. And I just want to close today with the word of prayer over each of you. So would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we open your word and it is very difficult at times. It's, it's challenging. And there's a lot, especially as it relates to how we were raised in our culture that would, would um, lead us not to want to accept your truth today. And so God, we're asking that you give us the heart to receive it.
but not only to receive it, but to go and to do it. And God, I'm praying for women in the room whose husbands are non-believers. God, I'm praying that you would save them in the name of Jesus in the coming weeks. God, that you would stir within their hearts, even right now, God, that that they would begin to want to seek. They would want to, to, to begin to learn more about who you are. They may be at home watching football right now. But God, we're asking your spirit to touch them and to move within them. God, we're, we're praying for wives to be able to step into this role as influencers, not only to their husbands, but to those around them and develop this inner beauty. God, I'm praying for, for men in the room who haven't stepped into the reality of, of, of what spiritual leadership looks like. God, I pray, even though it looks frightening, God, that they would overcome that. And Lord, that you would help them to embrace that call. They would begin to lead. They would begin to, 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 to inspire. And they, Father, would die to self and lift you higher in their life. Bless us today, God, as we leave. We are so thankful for your truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.